Amen. All right, remain standing. Tried to catch you before you sit down. Remain standing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you. It is living and active. And my prayer today is Galatians 4.19, that Jesus would be formed in us. And I just thank you, Colossians 4.12, that we stand more perfect and complete in all of the will of God. And we just thank you, Lord, Revelation 2.7. This morning we have ears to hear. We have ears to hear what the Spirit would say. Speak to us, Lord. Thank you, Romans 1.17. We go from faith to faith. Our faith is living and it's increasing this morning. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and best friend, amen. Would you say amen? You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. We are in our series, On Your Mark, Get Set, Go. God began to talk to our heart last year about beginning a new series in January. And for those of you that are new and and are guests with us, we teach here in series. I know a lot of pastors do a one message and then another message another week and then something completely different. I love waking up on, on uh, during Mondays or Tuesdays when I'm praying about the message and not having to think about what we're going to be preaching because we teach in series. And so we were going through the book of Mark, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, paragraph by paragraph. And how many of you say you've been blessed by the book of Mark? I have been so blessed by the book of Mark. For the rest of you, I don't know why you came this morning if you've not been blessed, but we're glad you're here anyway. We love going through the the verses of the Bible because when you read all the Bible and you go through every chapter, it makes you read the passages that you don't like. It makes you read the verses you don't have underlined. And it makes you teach on things like we're going to teach on this morning. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm so excited that I get to preach on sin today. I get to preach on sin. You know, preachers, they love to preach on sin and money. That's the two things that preachers love to preach on is sin and money. And so, I, you know, we don't, we don't preach on sin a lot. Obviously, we're, we're, yes, we're against sin because it will kill you and it will take you farther than you want to go. And sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. But, I mean, you know, we're for a lot more things than we're against. Everybody's about what they're against. And, yes, we're against things. But we are for right living. We're for a relationship with God. We're for you being filled with the Holy Spirit and the Lord leading in your life. So I want to introduce Mark chapter 9 and verse 42 today. Mark 9, 42. Pull up my title slide. You're going to like this, Jared. Pull up our little screen here because I want you to see this. Because I did this on purpose. What in hell do you want? And I understand, don't send me mean emails. I'm not cussing. I promise I'm not cussing. I was very intentional there. What in hell do you want? And I'm going to take it a step further. I want you to look at your neighbor and ask them. Just say, what in hell do you want? Come on, just tell them. I get everybody in trouble today. And I understand I was very strategic. I know exactly what I was doing. And, 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 and my question really is, what in hell do you want? What is there worth giving up everything God has for you. The question really is, what what in heaven do you want? And that really is the question because there's so many answers. And so Mark chapter 9, 42 through 50, deal with sin and they deal with hell and they deal with all of that cool stuff that you were excited to come to church today and hear all about. But God's going to help us as we travel through this passage. So let's jump into Mark chapter 9. We're just going to read the verses together. And we will illuminate as we go, and then we'll jump in and, and give you some very strategic information on how to win over sin. How many of you like to have a victorious life when it comes to sin? How many of you have, how many of you have ever sinned in this house? How many of you just sinned by not raising your hand? Hallelujah. Bob, we see the halo. I see the halo there. We all have dealt with sin at one time or another, and we will all continue to struggle with sin. And so it's good to take a look at the Bible and what does it say about sin and how can we win over sin. All right, Mark chapter 9. Are you ready to go? All right. 
Are, is everybody good and offended now? Because <laughs> I can keep going if everybody's not offended yet. We could, we could, I'm sure, think of something else to say. All right, Mark 9, 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones that believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone. Now, that's a stone that you would grind mill with, and the, the mule would be attached to the stone, and they would go around, and it would grind the mill, and it's a huge, huge stone. Jesus says, it would be better for one of you who causes someone who believes in me to stumble or to sin, meaning your life is not lived in a vacuum. If I could have every young person in the house, please just hear my heart. What you do today at 14 years old affects much more than just you. You think at 16 years old, well, this only affects me. It affects a whole lot more people. The decisions I make now as a father and as a husband, they don't just affect me. If I go out and buy a new car tomorrow, guess what? It doesn't just affect me. It affects my family. The decisions we make are not in a vacuum. We are not isolated. Life is connected. Would you all say that with me? Ready? Life is connected. The choices I make today affect my tomorrow. The, the, the choice for Kelly to get out of bed with her husband at work and come to church today affects her tomorrow. Can we encourage Kelly? Man, we just love the Hansel family. I don't know if I was working if Miss Tara would get up and come out of bed. I don't know. No, she would. I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. So the Bible says, whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for him to have a millstone, heavy millstone. Somebody say Heavy hung around his neck, and had been cast into the sea. Now, we think of Jesus as this man just petting lambs all day and throwing food to the fish and, you know, and all that and skipping through lilies. And that, listen, that is not Jesus. Jesus was a manly man. I'm not saying skipping through lilies is not manly if that's your favorite thing to do on the weekends, but somebody give him a football. Can I have an amen? <laughs> But Jesus was a manly man. He was a carpenter. He was a big, I believe, a muscular dude because he went in and turned over all the tables with a whip. And I mean, you got to have some self-confidence if you're going to go in and do that. I'd be like, uh, uh, excuse me, everyone. Could you please stop? Could you please quit doing this? And Jesus was just turning over tables and, and, and take, you know, what they say, kicking rear end and taking names. That's what he was doing. And, and so Jesus here makes a very... Intense state. I'm in trouble already. I'm, I'm not as well. Gail, you may have to finish this sermon. I'm, I'm just in trouble. Jesus said it would be better if you cause a believer to stumble, if you cause a believer to sin, if you cause a believer to get off the path God has called them to, it would be better for you to have a giant stone hung around your neck be thrown into the sea. Look at verse 43. If your hand causes you to stumble, verse 43, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It would be better for you to enter life, eternal life crippled, than to have two hands and to go into hell, into unquenchable fire. Well, the fire never goes out. Verse 44 says, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. What in hell do you want? There's eternal separation from God. There's the fire that never dies, unquenchable pain, unquenchable separation. Now, this is a metaphor. Jesus is not teaching self-mutilation. Can I have an amen? 
I don't want a bunch of amputees coming in here next week because, you know, you've been cutting your arms off all week, okay? Please, I will probably be in prison if you go home and cut your hand off because they, your pastor told you to cut your hand off, okay? Please, none of that. Jesus is not teaching self-mutilation. He's teaching self-separation. He's teaching extreme separation from the thing that causes you to stumble. He's teaching intense action against the sin that we fight and fight and fight. Now, the word here, hell, is the Greek word Gehenna. Look at your neighbor and say, Gehenna. Gehenna. Now, Gehenna is an interesting term. And let me tell you, when Jesus used the word Gehenna, let me paint a picture for you. Let me paint an image for you on what Gehenna was. Back in the way back, back a long time, before, you know, th thousands of years before Jesus was there, what happened was they, they sacrificed their firstborn to a Canaanite god of fertility in this valley. It was a valley there outside of Jerusalem. And they would sacrifice their children to the firstborn. They would sacrifice that child to the Canaanite god of fertility so they could have more children. And then it also became known as the Valley of Drums. Why was it called the Valley of Drums, Gehenna? Because they would beat the drums so loud to overcompensate for the screaming of the children who were being sacrificed. This is true. It's an archaeological documented fact. It's the valley of drums. The drums were constantly beating to drown out the noise of the children being sacrificed. And then there was a godly king that said, we can't do this anymore. And so he turned it into a garbage dump. He turned this valley into a landfill. And, and all of the trash of Jerusalem was brought to the landfill and it was burned. And the fire never went out. And the worms would not die. And the stench of death and the stench of smell never ceased to exist. So when Jesus said Gehenna, their mental image went to this massive landfill full of trash, heaping, burning flames, piled like mountains that will, would never cease to burn. This is the image that Jesus gave them. Look at verse 45. Now he says, if your foot, somebody say, all oh, foot. <laughs> Growing up, my grandmother was a great godly woman, and the closest she came to cussing was saying, all oh, foot. <laughs> and so now I tell my kids when I get mad, I say, sugar foot. And they say, dad, what is sugar foot? That's so 1960s. What is sugar foot? <laughs> so if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. Somebody say, cut it off. It means separate. It'd be better for you to enter life lame than having two feet. He goes on to say the worm doesn't die. Fire's not quenched. Verse 47, if your eye. So we see hand. That's what you do. We see feet. That's where you go. And he says the eye. That's what you see. Hand is what you do. Feet are where you travel, places you go. I mean, no, some places you just ought not go. If you are a re recovering alcoholic, don't hang out at the bar. Can I have an amen? All right? And then your eye, what you see. Would you say this out loud and say it with me? Because I don't know if we really believe this in America. Say this with me. Say, what I see affects what I believe. Let me have everybody say, including all of our teenagers, who I'm so happy to have in here this morning. Say it to everybody, right? Say, what I see affects my life. 
the Bible says the eyes are the window of the soul and we may think we can look at this and we may think that we can gaze on this and, and Jesus even went on to say that if we even look at a woman with lust in our heart then we have sinned and committed adultery he didn't say if you actually committed adultery he said if you look what we do where we go what we see Jesus is saying we must separate from the things that are pulling us down because there is a cost to sin. There is a price to pay. The Bible says in Romans 6, the wages of sin are death. Sin pays a price, and that price is death. It's separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life. But the gift of God is eternal life. Now look at verse 49. This is a kind of a weird phrase. I read this and I thought, now Jesus, I'm not questioning you or your word, but what do you mean here? This is weird. I don't understand. How many of you ever look at the Bible and go, Lord, I don't understand. Help me understand. I read this phrase and, and we don't use this language. We don't talk like this. And so I really had to research and study and find out what the Lord was trying to say here because it, I really didn't know at first glance. For everyone will be salted with fire. And then look at verse 50. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. Can I have an amen from all the salt lovers out there? My translation says salt is good in princes. Right here it says on cucumbers. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, if the salt loses purpose, stay with me now, if the salt is not functioning in what it was made to function as, and in the life of the believer, we can directly connect sin takes away your salt. The Bible says we are salt and light. You ought to be like a little salt shaker running around all day just sprinkling the love of Jesus on people so they become so thirsty that they run to the living water, which is Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, you look salty. <laughs> Come on, tell them. Now, don't lick their arm to test to see if they are salty. Just tell them they look salty. Notice this, salt is good. And I love that. Amen. That's one of my favorite new scriptures. But if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt within yourselves and be at peace with one another. Somebody say one another. So I want to teach you some things here. I begin to ask the Lord about this. What is this salt thing that you're talking about here? And salt is synonymous in the Old Testament with healing I mean, when you get a sore in your mouth or you have your wisdom teeth taken out or your tonsils taken out like our friend over here, I mean, the doctor says, swish around some warm salt water. Salt has a healing principle to it. I'll never forget growing up, my dad was a butcher and he like, cut his thumb off one day and decided to come home. He's like, go to the hospital, you know, don't bring that here, you know, but he's like, I'm going to go home and... So he came home and, and he cut half of his, really did. How many, how many know if you cut half your thumb off, go to the hospital. Don't come. But we were like, well, we can fix this. My mom's like, my mom's like, I know exactly what to do. Went and got the salt. We'll just dry this thing up right now. Poured the salt right on that wound. I've never heard my dad scream except that day. Man, he's like, ah! But it clotted the blood. How many know? They are not doctors. We thank God for doctors. I mean, hey, if you have any illness this morning, just see my mother. She'll pour salt on it. Take care of it. Salt has a healing property to it. Salt has a preserving property. Somebody say preserving. How many of you have ever eaten a pickle? 
I mean, you know, that's a, that's a 17-year-old cucumber <laughs> sitting in salt. How many of you have ever had canned spaghetti and meatballs? Okay. How many of you detest canned spaghetti and meatballs? Mary does. I love canned spaghetti and meatballs. Something about eating a meatball out of meat that has been in a can for seven years. It's just amazing. And it's still chewy. It's still good. Why? It's mystery meat, yeah. Why is it still even edible? Because of the salt. Salt has a healing property to it. Salt has a preserving property to it. I know this is extremely funny, but it's so spiritual if you can get it past the spaghetti and meatballs. Salt is healing. Salt is preservation. Now turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to see this, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Lord took me to the scripture to further explain. How many know the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible? Thank God for commentaries. Thank God for a blue letter Bible and Bible Gateway and all those tools. But the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. It says in verse 12, Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones. Now gold and silver and precious stones, my understanding from what I've read and studied, this is the things that we do for God that count. This is giving to missions. This is raising godly kids. This is sacrificing so grandkids can go to a good school. This is, this is obeying the calling. God says, I've called you to be in student ministry. I've called you to be in Kids Quest ministry. I've called you to work on the AV team. And this is doing what God has called you to do. I've called you to be an usher or a greeter, a connector. I've called you to be a hospitality team member. I've called you to be a great dad. I've called you to be a great mom. When we do the things God says to do, when we're obedient before the Lord, Lord, it is gold and it is precious stones and it is silver. How many of you are interested in that? But when we do knuckleheaded things that God doesn't tell us to do, am I the only one that has done some knuckleheaded things that God didn't tell me to do? We, we, we do something. Mr. Joyce, Sister Joyce, you're like this. We do something here. She knows some people like this. We do things and then we make a mess and we ask God to bless our mess. <laughs> And God says, I never told you to do that. You know, the Bible says God is the author and the finisher of our faith. And the Lord told me this, Brother Sal, a long time ago. God said, I will, I will finish what I start, but if I didn't start it, I am not obligated to finish it. That was worth coming for. He who began a good work in you, Philippians 1.6, will be faithful to complete it. But if God didn't start it, he's not obligated to finish it. God doesn't bless disobedience. Can I have an Amen. So the gold and the silver and the precious stones, these are things we do for God out of obedience, with a good heart, with a good motive, with the right attitude. Ooh, can I have an amen with a good attitude? Can I have a good attitude? Amen. Amen. And then we have wood, hay, and straw. These are actions we do in the flesh. These are actions we do in disobedience to what God has told us to do. Verse 13, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is revealed with fire. Somebody say fire. It is revealed with fire. So God is a consuming fire. The judgment of God is a fire. Even believers will go through a fire. Now I'm not talking about a, a fire like in hell. Even believers will, with the fire of God will come and we, what we do and we get in heaven, it's my understanding is that we have all these things that we've done before the Lord and over here are jewels and gold and, and silver and then over here is wood, straw and hay and this is the stuff I did on my own. This is every idle word that I'm going to give an account for. This 
this is doing things that I thought were just a good idea, but not necessarily a God idea. And so the fire of God is going to come, and it's going to reveal my heart. It's going to reveal my motives as I stand before the Lord. And notice this here. It says, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work, meaning the fire of God is going to test what I did, if it was genuine and real or if it was fake and phony baloney. Are you hanging with me? Look at verse 14. If any man's work was built, if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. Thank God for that. Verse 15, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. What is he losing? He's losing his reward. Why do we teach spiritual disciplines of praying and fasting and tithing and giving and serving because we don't want you standing on the day of, of the fire of God on what's called the, the judgment seat of Christ. We don't want you standing there with nothing to be rewarded for. We want to give you opportunity to earn rewards. That's what we do what we do. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as though through the fire. So God's not judging you based on your works to see if you make heaven or hell. That's not the issue. Your, your works to get you into heaven or to send you to hell are not the question on the day of judgment. Does everybody settle that? Your salvation is not in question on the judgment seat of Christ. That's already been settled. Your name is already written in the Lamb's book of life if you're a believer. Are you tracking with me? If you've said there's nothing in hell that I want and I'm going to surrender my life to Christ and turn from my sin and become born again, your name is already in the Lamb's book of life. Your eternity is not being judged on the day of judgment. It's your works. It's your deeds. It's what you've done for the Lord. And so Jesus here is saying, let me, let me try to move this along and try to, try to bring this home. Jesus is saying what we do on the earth matters in eternity. If we give over to sin... And if we give over to worldly things, the pride of life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, if we live for self, then all that's going to be burned up on the day of judgment and we will have no reward. Now, I mean, heaven's great. Thank God for heaven. But if my mansion's bigger than yours, don't come over every day, okay? Please, at least knock before you come in, all right? I may be kissing Miss Tara, so please just knock. You all do know we kiss, right? All right, so here we go. Back on track. I love my wife. I love my wife. I can't speak for her now after this sermon, but I love my wife. I'm in a hole that I can't get out of. I got to move on. So how do we win over sin? Jesus said, sinning in this earth, which I just did a few minutes ago, <laughs> sinning in this life, continually being in sin, it's so serious, it's so serious that Jesus said you must separate, you must separate yourself from the source of the sin because it affects your eternal reward. Are you seeing that? So I want to give you six wonders to winning over sin. Listen about this church, friends. We will never just say you need to stop sinning. Andrea, you need to stop sinning. We will tell you how. The Bible is a book about how. How I many of us not enough just to say stop? All right, number one, here we go. How do we win over sin? Number one, we, it is recognizing what sin is. Recognizing what sin is. Now, this, this, this was tough for me growing up as a child. 
Because my mother had like scriptures memorized and my mother would use scriptures upon me as a child. That's how she disciplined me. Her favorite scripture that she loved to use. There were times, Miss Carol, that I actually thought my mother only knew one scripture. <laughs> and it was this one right here. We must recognize what sin is. How many know before you can defeat an enemy, you've got to recognize it. You have to identify it. How many know before you can hit the target, you've got to identify what the target is and you've got to assess and evaluate. So we must recognize what is sin. We live in a culture that says anything goes. We live in a culture of relativism where if it's relative to you, if you feel bad doing this, then don't do it. But if you're not convicted by this, then have at it. We live in a world of no absolutes, but the Bible is a Bible of absolutes. Can I have an amen? So we got to recognize what sin is. And before you can defeat something, you must know what it is. And so look with me at James chapter 4 and verse 16. Notice this here. It says, but you boast in your arrogance, and all boasting is evil. Now check this out. Going down, look with me at verse 17. It says, therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do, notice this, to the one who knows the right thing to do, to the one who knows to do good, to him it is sin. And my mother would say, if you know to do right and you don't do it, to you it is sin. Now, this is not just absolutes and anything goes and what you feel like and do it. This is saying when you have trained your conscience, you've trained your conscience to be convicted by what the Bible says are convictions. When you know to do right and you don't do it, to you it is sin. So the closer I get to God, the more is sin for me. The closer I get to the Lord Jesus, the more knowledge I have of Him, the less things that I can do without my conscience and the Holy Spirit on the inside of me saying, you don't need to do that. You don't need to go there. You need to put the buggy back in the car at Sam's Club. You need to put the box of instant mashed potatoes back where the box of instant mashed potatoes go because that's where you got it and somebody would have to put it back if you don't. Oh, it's quiet in this place this morning. The closer I get to God, the less that I can do and get away with. So here's what this means. We think of sin as lying, cheating, adultery. The big one's murder. If I say, give me the worst sin, you'd say murder, adultery, you know, on and on. But if you know it is good to spend time in God's Word every day, you know it's good, and you don't. What does the Bible say? To you, it's sin. If you know, and I figured it would go over like this. I was prepared for your thunderous silence. If you know that it is God's desire for His believers to give and support the ministry and 10% tithe. You know, tithing in the Bible is not optional. Offerings are optional, but the tithe belongs to God. Acts 11.29 says each one gave an offering as they were able, but the tithe, tithe belongs to the Lord. To me, that tithe is, in my life is not optional. So if I know that giving God 10% is not an option, that that's to do good, then when I don't, when I'm not, to me, it is sin because I know to do good. Let's take it on down. Let's put it where you live, okay? If you know it is good to clock in at work when you're ready to start working again, then if you clock in after 30 minutes but take another 10 minutes on your break to get a little extra time on the clock, you've clocked back in, but you're not working. To you, it is sin. Anybody out there? 
If you know it is good, let's just keep, I'm just going to keep churning this butter, praise God. I'm going to work it in. God's going to work it out. If you know it is good to drive 55 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour speed zone, and you do 75 in the 55, to you it is sin. When I started driving, my mom said, don't drive faster than your angels. I've heard these angels are really slow. We don't want to outdrive our angels. Ain't that right, Meshach? We don't want to drive faster than our angels, praise God. If you know that it is good to serve in the local body, but you don't, to you it is sin. Now, I'm not, I've got no beef with you. It's between you and the Lord. I'm just telling you, if, if you know to do good and don't do it, it is sin. How many of you thank God for grace? How many of you thank God for grace? However, the reason we want to stop living and, and practicing sin is so that we can live a life where we gain reward. So when we stand before the fire of God, we are rewarded for what we've done. And we don't have this giant puddle of hay and straw that's burnt up. So we've got to recognize what is sin. Do you know that doubting is sin? Look at Romans 14, 23. It says, anything not of faith is sin. Anything not of faith is sin. All right, number two, not only do we want to recognize what sin is, write this down, number one, recognize what sin is. Number two, we want to yield to conviction. We want to yield to conviction. I am teaching my children now to yield to conviction. When the Holy Spirit convicts them and talks to them, obey that prompting on the inside. Say this with me. Say, I will obey that prompting on the inside. We got to yield to conviction. Now, I said this here, not only for my sake, but for the sake of others. Let's look at Romans 14, if we can pull this up. I want you to see this, and I think it's in the Amplified Version. Romans 14 and verse 20. This is kind of an interesting passage. It says, You must not, for the sake of food, undo and break down and destroy the work of God. Now, remember in this day, all the Jews said you couldn't eat this and couldn't eat this. And God comes along and says, I've made everything clean. And, and you got to retrain your conscience. See, for years, their conscience had been trained that eating this food was a sin. And God comes along and says, I've called it clean. I've set you free from that bondage and that curse. And, and they had to retrain their conscience to what God was saying, sin. And notice here he says, you must not for the sake of food undo and break down and destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean and pure, but it is wrong. Somebody say, it is wrong. It is wrong for anyone to hurt the conscience of others or to make them fall by what he eats. Meaning this right here. God may be dealing with you in a certain area. God may be convicting you in a certain area. You are not the judge and jury and you cannot put your conviction on another man as law. Now the Bible is very clear on what is sin and what is not. But just because I, some people have a really strong conviction about you know, dressing up to go to church. Our brother Sal does. He's got a conviction, and, and that praise God for that. It would be sin for me to tear down his devotion to God and say, Oh, brother, God, God is a God of hearts, and you don't have to wear that suit. I actually think his suit looks nice. 
But it would be sin for me to cause him to question his devotion for God because he has a conviction. Now, here's where it would be bad on him. If he shows up at the church and he's got this deep conviction about looking nice when it comes to church and praise God for that. If he condemned all of us and we weren't as spiritual as him because he has this conviction about dressing up, you see the balance? It would be sin for me to tear down his conviction, but it would be sin for him to come in and tear us down because we don't have that same conviction because the scripture is absent on what you wear to church. Do you see what I'm saying? That's the best example. And I love my man, Sal. Come on, can we encourage Mr. Sanchez this morning? So it goes both ways. It's a matter of the heart and training your conscience and, and following what the Lord is leading you in his scriptures. And so we go on down in verse 21. It is good to do the right thing, Romans 14. It's okay to, to eat no meat or drink or no wine at all or, or do anything else if it makes your brother stumble or hurts his conscience or offends or weakens him. Notice this is a corporate assignment. This is not just about Rick and what's good for Rick. It's about what's good for the body. This is about the body of Christ. Notice this here in verse 22. Your personal convictions on such matters, exercise them as in God's presence, keeping them to yourself. Meaning if you have a conviction about something that God is leading you on that is not found in Scripture. Now obviously we're not talking about like adultery and murder. How many of we all should be convicted by those things? Can I have an amen? But there are certain people who have a conviction that you should sing church music with no music. That's their conviction. Their conviction is we worship with no instruments. That's their conviction. They cannot take their conviction and make it our law and I can't take the fact that we worship with instruments and put that on them as if it were the gospel truth. You've got to sing praises to God with instruments. And we've got to be aware of what we're doing and how it causes my brother and sister to stumble. Can I have an amen? Are you tracking with me here? Keep them to yourself, striving only to know the truth and obey His will. Meaning God will reveal to you what you need to do and not need to do as you're close to the Lord. He who has no reason to judge himself for what he approves, meaning what does not convict himself by what he chooses to do. Meaning, if you're convicted about eating this and, and it's not clear in God's word and I'm not convicted by it, then I need to yield to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life. What are we talking about? We're talking about winning over sin. So what did I say here for the last 10 minutes? Obey the convictions of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Obey the convictions of the Lord. Now, let me look at this slide here about conviction versus condemnation as we, as we travel down this path. I want you to see this. Conviction says you are too worthy to sin. Elijah, you have such a high calling. You're the righteousness of God. You're, you have such a high calling. You can't be making such low decisions. Joseph King, you've got a high calling of the Lord. You can't go over here and do this because you are worthy. You're God's son. You're the righteousness of God. You've got no business in this. I'm just using these guys as examples, you know. But condemnation says, Meshach, you are unworthy because you sinned. Conviction says, Kaylee, you are too worthy to sin. You're too holy in the eyes of God, too pure and precious to be going down that road. 
condemnation says, Bradley, you are unworthy because of your sin. Do you see the difference? You see, conviction is an inward focus on who you are. You're a child of God. You're loved by God. Condemnation is an outward agitation based on what you did. I never tell my children, you are a bad boy. You're a bad girl. Never. With God's help, as honest as I can be. Now, if you have no stones at you, you can only go forward. But I, with God's help, help me remember, I don't think I have ever looked at my children and said, you are a bad kid. You are a bad boy. I have looked at them and said, you are a great kid making really bad decisions right now. You're a great godly girl, but you're making some bad choices right now. Now, again, no condemnation. We're, we're going forward. If you said that this morning, then, I, you know, no stones at you. Just think about what you're saying here. My son is a man of God. He made a really bad decision, but that's not who he is. Condemnation is an outward agitation based on what you do. Conviction is an inward motivation based on who you are and whose you are. Conviction draws and affirms and condemnation rejects. One is from God, one is from the enemy. Do you have the video not under the law? You don't know? Okay, I guess we don't. All right, number three. Not only do we want to yield to the conviction of the Lord, but number three, we want to hate the sin to the point where we do something about it. Hate the sin to the point it causes action. Say this with me. Say it out loud so I know you're awake. Say, hate to sin until I can do something about it. That's why Jesus said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you. Jude 1.23 says, hate even the garment stained by evil. Hate even the garment stained by flesh. If the television causes you to continue to sin, throw it in the yard. Can I have an amen? Can I have a better amen? If the smartphone causes you to stumble, throw in the trash and get a flip phone. Can I have an Amen. If the boyfriend or the girlfriend continually causes you to stumble outside of God's plan, it is not God's will for you to be together. Kick, one, kick them to the curve. Whatever is continuing to cause us to sin, God, Jesus says you must radically separate yourself from it. Radically separate yourself. You cannot win from a losing position. You can't win. Look at Psalm 97, verse 10. This is not my words. This is the words of our Lord. Psalm 97, 10. It says to hate evil. So we must hate sin, and we must hate evil to the point where we take radical action. Somebody say radical. Jesus said take drastic steps to eliminate the temptation. Cut off relationships. Cut off things. If cable TV causes you to sin, go back to basic antenna. Can I have an Amen. Well, I can't do that. You don't hate sin enough. You're not to the point where you're ready for radical action. What in hell do you want? That's my question. What's worth it? A relationship with God. What's better? The rewards on the day of judgment. All right, number four. We're moving right along. Is this helping anybody anywhere? Say it with me. Say, I'm going to win over sin. We're going to recognize sin. We're going to yield to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We're going to hate sin to the point it causes action. Number four, we're going to confess it and forsake it. Now, let me teach you for just a minute. We're wrapping this up. We're going to take communion together. Confess and forsake. I hear it all the time. We need to confess our sins. And then, you know, you heard about the woman who had an adultery uh, affair, and, 
and she, she was whispering to her husband. She said, I'm so sorry, but I had an adulterous affair, and, and, uh, and I just wanted to tell you. And he said, honey, why are you whispering? She said, I don't want God to, to hear me. I don't want God to find out. He said, I think he already knows. How <laughs> many you know when we confess our sins, that's not when God finds out about it? God doesn't just find out about our goofiness and sin when we confess it. So it's not just confessing. It's not just saying, I'm sorry. Sometimes my kids say, I'm sorry. They're not sorry. They're sorry they got caught. They're not a bit sorry for what they did. They're sorry they don't get to play PlayStation for two weeks. So they're sorry that they have to pay me money for something they broke. Or so. If my kids break toys because they're being goofy and stupid, they have to pay me for those toys. I mean, no, they take care of toys at my house. Amen. Well, that's mean. Well, my toys last longer. <laughs> Praise God. It is mean, but my toys last longer. So, We've got to confess it and forsake it. It's not just saying, okay, I sin, and then moving on. Notice confess and forsake. Let me teach you something about confessing. 1 John 1, 9. Stay with me for just a minute. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. If we're faithful to confess, he's faithful to forgive. Confession in the Greek language, the language the Bible in the New Testament we have, is in, the, in the Greek language there, it's the word homolegeo. Homolegeo, homo means the same, legeo means to say. It means to say the same thing as, homolegeo. So confessing is not just telling God, okay, God, I'm so sorry. I, you know, stepped on a nail and said for a little word, you wouldn't hold in your hand or, you know, whatever, or, you know, what... Sorry, God, I lied, you know, or whatever. It's not just telling God what you did. Homologeo means to say the same thing as. What does homologeo mean? To say the same thing as. Ready? What does homologeo mean? To say the same thing as. So this is confession. God says it's sin. So I come into agreement. I come into alignment. God says that's a sin. I say that's a sin. God says I should be convicted here. I say I should be convicted here. So whatever God says is good, I say is good. If God says it's a sin to stay away from it, then I come into agreement and I say the same thing as. And then I forsake it. Look with me at Proverbs 28 and verse 13. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find mercy and compassion. Don't cover up, confess up. Amen? Confess to one another, James 5, 16 says, that your, that your sins may be forgiven and that you may be healed. There's power in, in, in telling folks about what you've done and saying God says this is a sin and I'm coming into alignment. I say this is sin. Confess and forsake. Number five, as we get ready to wrap this up and land this plane. Is this good? Is it helping anybody today? I'm telling you, friends, with all my heart, if you put these six things into practice, over time you will begin to be closer and closer to the Lord. You, uh, let's, let's be quick to repent. I meant to say that in this. Let's be quick to repent. King David was out of fellowship with God for a whole year. Listen, you, when you, let me just say this by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, okay? Let me say this. If everybody can look at me. I know our kids are coming in. That's wonderful. They're going to take communion with us. But if everybody could really, this is really important. Let me say this in the way I sense the Lord stirring at my heart. We've got to be quick to repent. It is prideful and arrogant for you to not repent and confess it and forsake it. It is pride because you feel like you're paying for it by the longer you go without confessing it. You'll go three days 
without getting right with God and you stay out of fellowship with God for three days because you feel so bad for what you did that you feel like you have to pay for it. The moment I'm convicted about something, I stop what I'm doing and I repent and bring it to the Lord. I want to get right back in fellowship with the Lord. God doesn't forgive me more if I wait longer to confess and bring my sins to Him and then turn. Turn Repent means to turn, to turn away. So you're going this way, and if you repent, it's to literally change your mind. Now I'm going back this way. So when I repent and I confess it, I don't have to wait. Get back in fellowship with God. Say this when you say it loud. Say, I'll be quick to repent. When you get convicted, draw that in. Number five, have a fully filled and submitted life to the Holy Spirit. As our computer will come back up. Guys, if you can fix that, that would be awesome. Live a fully filled and submitted life to the Holy Spirit. Live fully filled and submitted to the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be a witness. What is a witness? A witness is someone who's living godly. Jude 1.20 says this, But you, beloved, build up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, keep yourself in the love of God. Verse 22, have mercy on those who are doubting. Verse 23, save some, snatching them out of the fire. Have mercy. Verse 24, God is able to keep you from stumbling. So as we pray in the Holy Spirit, as we live full of the Spirit of God, as we're fully submitted to the Lord, he can help us keep us from falling and keep us from stumbling. And He can make us stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. How many of you want to stand before God blameless with great joy? If you had never sinned, how would you pray? Well, God sees you just as if you'd never sinned. That's what the Bible says when we've been justified by faith. It's just as if I'd never sinned because Jesus did everything right. So when I'm full of the Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm praying in my most holy faith, and I'm submitted to the Spirit, I'm full of God, then I can stand before His glorious presence blameless. I mean, you know, a sinning man stops praying, and a praying man stops sinning. A sinning man stops praying, and a praying man stops sinning. Listen to this as we go to the last point. When we're full of the Holy Spirit, we don't have any room for things of the world. When I'm full of the Holy Spirit, I don't have any room for things of the world. Number six, as we close, we're going to recognize what is sin. To him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. We're going to yield to the conviction. We're going to hate sin to the point we do something about it. I hope some of you go home today and do something about it. Take some drastic measures to eliminate the temptation. We're going to confess and forsake. We're going to repent. We're going to turn and walk another way. We're going to live fully submitted and fully filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to ask. That's the wrong word, sorry. We're going to ask the Lord to replace our desires. It's supposed to be ask. We're going to ask the Lord to replace our desires. I want, that, I want to ask the worship team to come. Psalm 34, 7 says, Delight yourself in the Lord. Make the Lord your joy. And that word delight in Hebrew means to be soft and pliable, formative. Be soft and tender and pliable in the hands of the Lord. And He will give you the desires of your heart. I had the chance to pray with a man this week, Pastor Michael and I. Prayed with a man with all his heart, wanted God to take an addiction from him.
This is something I put in my notes. It, it, sinning for believers is unnatural. The Bible says you're a new creation in Christ. When I sin, it's unnatural. But if I, do, if I go down that path of un, unnaturalness enough, it becomes like second nature to me. Second nature to me. Because my nature is the nature of Christ. I'm a new creation born again in Christ Jesus. That's my nature. My nature is to live holy. But if I continue against what is natural for me, do you know why sinners sin? Because it's so natural for them. I can't believe they live like that. I can't believe that. I can't believe my neighbor acts like that. He is not, he is far away from God. What do you expect? He's doing what is natural for him. But I'm a new creation in Christ. Now my nature's been changed. But if I continue doing what is unnatural for me as a born-again believer, it becomes like second nature to me. So Pastor Michael's going to come and help us pray for the Lord to change our desires. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 13, when you pray, pray this way. And he said, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We understand sinful desires and desires of the flesh, but God wants to change our desires this morning. Let's close our eyes and pray. Father, we do thank you for the word this morning. We thank you that our hearts have been opened and you have spoken to us. And with no one looking around, just as a public acknowledgement, if this word has spoken to you today, regardless of what area, but that you're, you're just needing a fresh start for God to hit the reset on some areas in your heart, would you just slip up your hand so we can be praying for you as a staff this week? Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I'm going to ask that we all pray this together, whether you raised your hand or not. Just repeat after me. Say, Dear Lord, I thank you that my past does not define my future. That you declare to me that I am your child. And today I confess my sin, that I have chosen myself over your way and your plan. But today, Lord, thank you for a fresh start. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that I'm no longer under condemnation. And Lord, we celebrate victory that you paid for. Amen and amen. I want to tell you, the Lord is doing something special in our midst. And I want you to continue to be praying for what God is doing, not only in your own life, but in the life of the person you sit in a cubicle next to. Maybe someone who's down the hall in a different classroom. Wherever it is that God has planted you, your sphere of influence, the Lord is wanting to do something not only in you, but through you. And as we, would you just stand with me? We're going to sing one last worship song together, and then we're going to partake after that into com in communion. But let's just worship the Lord for what He has already done today and in our lives.